Dynasty Football Network presents Super Flexible Podcast with your two co-hosts, Tudrin and Swags, and host, Steve Halepka. Welcome to the Super Flexible Podcast, here tonight with a special guest. But uh, Before I bring him in, well... <laughs> Here tonight with a special guest. I've got Mark Schofield here with me. How's it going, Mark? I'm doing well, Swax. How you doing, my friend? Pretty good. I thought after I said I was going to bring you in, I might as well just do that. But this is like the first show of 2020, and it's like super exciting to have you here for it. And when I was thinking of that and being into February, it just made me feel like, man, like need to get some super flexible out there. And what a better way to bring it in than with Mark Schofield. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. That that's high praise, though. I mean, don't set the bar too high. It is early in the season, you know. People are starting to look towards next year and drafts and stuff like that. That is a high bar. I'm going to try to live up to it. Uh, you you are very modest. Well, I try to be. You know, I, I've been told on my show that sometimes I act too smart and too cool, and I make things all about me. And I guess when you have two podcasts with your name in each of them, the Sco it show. comes off. Yes, yeah, so the Sco show and the QB show. And yeah, like, like yeah. where where people can find you inside the pylon. Um, all that. Yeah, good easiest stuff. easiest ways on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Um, but I write for ITP inside the pylon, uh, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's RSP. And then three different SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, where I just write, uh, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco show with Michael Kiss. I do some video work over there. That's predominantly quarterbacks through an Eagles lens. And then I write over Pat's Pulpit as well as host the Sco show, which is, you know, 80% Patriots, 20% quarterbacks, or 15% quarterbacks, 5% whatever's on my mind at a given moment. Yeah, and all fun. I'll, I try to keep it fun, you know? And- I mean, because... Let's be honest. There, there are so many different outlets and options for people that you got to try to keep it fun, you know? Yeah. Well, man, there's a therapeutic side to this. I, I do believe that, at least speaking for myself. And, like, I was listening to you and Waldman on uh, the rookie scouting portfolio that he does. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you got some of the – man, uh, you guys – I love that on a couple of the recent shows, you allowed yourself to be a little bit vulnerable. Well, because it's interesting show swags. Um, you know, we did the, we do the quick game, Matt and I, every two weeks or so. And he reached out to me a couple of weeks ago. It was before the senior bowl. And he was like, look, I think we need to do a show about the life, you know, because somebody had kind of trolled Matt Barry on Twitter saying, Oh, I can't believe you get paid for this. You know, I could do your job. And, you know, it sort of started a discussion on the timeline about, you know, getting into this industry and people were saying things like, you know, if you love you, what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And Matt was kind of like, I think we need to talk about it because it's not always glamorous. Right. And it's true. Like, you know, I, I, I mentioned the senior bowl. You go down the senior bowl, you walk into Lad Peebles Stadium where you go to Veets where everybody hands out at night and you see all these people like Ben Solak and Seth Galina and others that I walk in there and I'm like, man, everybody in this room right now does better work than I do. Like th- this industry can be seriously humbling at times. And Matt, and I felt like it was good to share that because it. Th- this is a great time in that you can be somebody like me that was the bad attorney was like, I need to do something different. And you can just start writing about football or fantasy football or whatever and build an audience. But at the same time, there are sacrifices along the way and there will be some dark moments along the way. It's not always, you know, 
puppies and roses. There, there are some times when everybody, Waldman, myself, others, have those moments where we're like, we just were not good enough. And we thought it was important to share that. And I will say that since we did that show and then the, the, the RSP we did, the quick game we did like last week, we touched on it a little bit more. I've had so many different people like DM me or you know reach out to me and, or via texts or even when we're down at the scene bow and say, look, man, I appreciate you did that because we're all human. We all have those moments when we're like, no, I, I just, this is hard. And it's good to hear that people say that this is hard. So it helps you along the way as well. Well, and it, it wasn't only that you you spoke of the hardships of the grind, should we call it, to keep it short. Right. But you also talked about your your life that you had before that that may have been perceived to society as as a better life or a better job or yeah. Um, both of I you. I mean, yeah. I mean. You know, for for me, like leaving the practice of law and, and, and now the problems you had this. with that, you know, yeah. and, and I didn't even plan on getting all into this either, Mark. No, but. no, it's fine. I mean, because because it was a transformation and I had lots of, you know, friends from the legal world and still have friends in the legal world. Like I had a buddy, you know, DM me the other day on Twitter because he's on Twitter, but I met him when we were both practicing law. We had a case against each other, a jury trial that I actually won and I tell him tease him about that all the time it was like one of the few trials i actually won but he was like man I, i'm so happy for you i'm just happy that that you got out but i still think it's weird that this is what you do and i you know there is there are like people or you know my wife and i we just moved into a new neighborhood and you know you do the you know the barbecues and stuff because we moved in the summer we're meeting you know kids and you know new neighbors and stuff and it's like you do what oh that's so you work from home oh wait really you get paid it's like yeah this uh-huh. is my job and you know then it's like well this is my wife she's a lawyer then you know i'm out of the conversation it's like oh she's a lawyer whatever luckily my son's uh best buddy um who lives like right across the street you know his his dad's a football coach and so at least there's like somebody in the neighborhood now where like it's like oh yeah like when you know we had a neighborhood block like christmas party it was the night that the eagles were playing the cowboys and all the other family, neighborhood people and husbands, wives, whatever, they're all mingling and we're just locked in front of the TV watching football. So at least there was that. But it, <laughs> it, it's it's weird. It's weird at times. And, you know, one of the things I did mention was like, I'm lucky in the sense that I get the buy-in from, you know, my parents, my in-laws. Like, it's going to be weird for my in-laws when it's like, oh, you guys were both lawyers and now one of you is going to be working at home and my daughter is going to be. Um, it's weird. I get it. Um, but I was I got support from them. Like they've got articles of mine, like magazines that I've been in, like strewn about their house for stuff that's framed. It's it's that support is a big part of it. And if I didn't have that support and and understanding. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, And like you said, before we hopped on, like, you know, we're doing this, you know, early on Wednesday night and, you know, you're going to be able to have some time with the wife after and I'll have some time with the wife after and stuff like that. But we've got to move schedules around. It's weird when it's like, it's you know midnight and you have to go do a show. Why do you have to do a show now? Well, the Patriots just finished a game, or uh-huh. oh, I'm I'm going on a show and it's there. It's a West Coast you know host, so it's nine o'clock for him, so it's midnight for me. Or you're staying up until two a.m. because you have to be on the radio at one thirty. Why? It's like well, the Bills just drafted a quarterback in the first round, and so the guys that are hosting from the one to four a.m. block after the draft ended, they want me to come on. Like you do these crazy things. Yeah, but that's awesome. That is you crazy. need buy-in from people. So yeah, yeah. Well, and it, yeah, everything, every and uh, man. So I think you said it. Like uh, I mean, everything you you do, kind of like that energy you, you want to. 
put back into the other parts of your life too, your kids, your family. Right. And, and it, it seems improbable to do and to uphold that energy sometimes. But I mean, that's what you have to try to do. And, yeah. and that's all along. Like while you may be sitting with your wife still on your phone, talking to me about setting up this show, you know, or yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, you know, the beauty of life in the, in 2020 is that we are all so connected in a way, you know, it's what yep. enabled us to be able to hop on a show. It's what enabled me and Matt Waldman to meet the first time. But at the same time, we are always connected. You know, there, there's no way to really sort of unplug. It, it's difficult that I often tell the story, you know, in my life as a lawyer, one of the, like the time it really slapped me across the face that I can't do this anymore was when, it was when my wife was pregnant with our second, our daughter, Simone. But we had Owen. We were both, my wife and I were both practicing law, and we had come home, picked him up from daycare. We had dinner, and it was like 6.45, and we had like, you know, maybe 30 minutes as a family to like be together, the three of us. My wife's on the floor, pregnant, playing with Owen before, you know, and it's before we got to get him, you know, bath time and all that stuff. And I'm on the couch swags, just like looking at my phone, terrified about an email that may or may not come from one of my partners about a case. Mm. And it wasn't that I was, it wasn't that I was like told, oh, I'm going to email you tonight. It was just a pure hypothetical in my mind that, oh, something got screwed up on this case and I know they're going to email me about it. And I'm literally sitting there, like staring at my phone, furiously refreshing my emails, just waiting for this email that never came, of course. And meanwhile, like five feet behind that, it's my actual life. It's my wife who she's pregnant and our son, and I'm ignoring them. And so I always tell this story about how that's a moment when I realize, like, look, I got to do something different. And then sure enough, now there will be times when I'm scrolling through Twitter and the family's doing something else. And those are the, there are those moments when I'm like, man, you're such a hypocrite right now because you tell this story and then look what you're doing. So there will be times when I catch myself and I'll have to put the phone away. But yeah, we, we can be so connected, but it's hard to sort of take a step back. And I think oh, there are absolutely. times when, you know, especially, you know, in February and March, when we get a chance to sort of step away from the regular season, step away from the fantasy season a bit and catch our breath. I think it's good to take advantage of that time. Did, did it had a little bit to do with like the difference of uh, like the anticipation of that that negative context email versus the positive connections or enjoying what you're doing more with your phone now? Or yeah, and, and I'm not I saying mean, that I, I think you're absolutely right. You want to be careful, and that time with your family is important. I don't I don't want to take away from that, but. They're they're two different like internal feelings. They're, they're, you're you're exactly right about that, Chad. Because like now when I'm like scrolling through Twitter, it's like, oh man, I wonder if somebody like retweeted something. Oh, it's oh, I wonder if you know one of my listeners said something about the pod or whatever. Sure. It's not like a terrified fear that like I'm going to get something that's going to make me think I'm about to lose my job. You know, it, it's something yep. completely different. And you know, there have been times when I'll be scrolling through Twitter and something like, why do I have like 75 notifications? What just happened? Um, but it's always good. It's like never bad knocking on wood here. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it is a different feeling, Shane, because, you know, in the prior life, it was fear. It was terror. And I was a prisoner of my mind and a prisoner of that job and that life and everything about it. And, you know, you've heard me on shows. Other people have probably heard me on shows talking about, you know, the anxiety and the depression and all that stuff that came with that life that I don't have now. And, you know, that's a massive life changer and that's a massive upgrade in my life. And so, 
you know, when you think about sort of the adjustment of life, you know, now versus when I was a lawyer, yeah, maybe the, the sort of prestige that comes with being a lawyer, you know, if you can say there's that has gone away, but my mental health and my life in general is so much better. I don't, you know, I'm not terrified when I wake up in the morning, you know, when I, when I was on the show with Matt, I talked about the most terrifying moments of my day was that elevator ride from the lobby up to the 11th floor where my office was, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have that terrible moment. Like the most anxious I get is when I get asked a question about a quarterback that I haven't studied yet. And I have to try to like <laughs> furiously Google what quarterback this is and try Why to find a quarterback. Why are we talking about stuff. him? Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, I, I, I don't have those anxious moments anymore. So, I mean, that more than anything else has made me, you know, for all the changes that have gone in my life, yeah. it's maybe a better husband, better, better dad, better son, better son-in-law, better brother, better sibling. Like it's changed my life so much for the better. And I, I always say that it's due in part to the fact that people like the work and have supported me along the way. Like if, if I was doing this and nobody liked what I was doing, I'd be back being a lawyer. But thankfully, people, for whatever reason, seem to think I know what I'm talking about. I've fooled people for, what, six years now? So I get to keep doing uh, it a little I, while I think, longer. I think, I mean, for me, it's the you do top-notch work. And, and it's also like your delivery and just you're a modest guy. Like, um, I don't know. I, I can't tell you like how much just listening to that show inspired me. And like, And I know damn well. I, for whatever reason, am afraid to be as vulnerable as you allowed yourself to be on that show. But then at the same time, I can sit here and tell you like the positive influence that I know it had on everybody. So it's not like anybody was like, oh, Jesus Christ, did you just hear Mark? Like, what an ass, just let it out. Like it was truly, uh, I don't know. But I I also know at the same time, like, I don't, I don't quite want to be that vulnerable today. It's weird. It's hard because, you know, we all have our sort of personas and we are all in a sense covering a sport, whether, you know, fantasy football, you know, X's and O's, whatever, where there's still that sort of macho bravado around it. Mm -hmm. And and so there are times that even those of us on the outside covering it, um, you know, we, we sort of get swept up into that. And so there's that feeling that we sort of have to be tough as well. We sort of have to be brave and we have to be, you know, macho. We can't really show our feelings. But I, I think we can sort of move past that in a sense. And it, yeah. it's okay to admit that you have some struggles at times. It, yeah. It's okay to admit that you're, you know, anxious about where you are or anxious about the work that you're putting out. And, you know, I'm not saying that people have to be that way, but if you ha- want to be that way, you know, you can certainly do it. And as I've said on so many times, so many different occasions, like if there's somebody listening that is going through something and just wants to have somebody listen, my DMs are always open. And I have every time I do a show like this or every time I talk about stuff like this or every time I tweet about something like this, I inevitably get like anywhere from like two to like 10 different DMs or emails with people reaching out for help because I've been there. You know, I've lived it. And, you know, if I can help people in any little way, I'm here for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I've said so many times that I wouldn't be here now if it weren't for you know people enjoying the work, number one, but if it also wasn't for people like Waldman and Doug Farrar and others that gave me a shot, that you know get, extended that hand to me. And it's you know the only other thing that I can do in this industry is to give that hand out to the next group behind me because, you know, maybe... 
I just sort of bum around and do this for the rest of my life. But if I've helped people along the way, it will have been worth it. Yeah, it's a fun bumming around, eh? Yeah, it beats working. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, with that said. We got to do some work, huh? Mark is also a film analyst, if anybody hasn't caught on to that. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask you, and I'm just going to throw the names out there and see where you take it, but I want, we need to talk about what everybody's talking about is the rookie quarterbacks. Um, I, I wanted to get a little bit away from them as the show goes on, if we have time, but I wanted to get, talk about Joe Burrow, Tua and Justin Herbert a little bit and a little bit of what you think about maybe some good landing spots, um, Maybe like who would you who would you want on your Patriots team? Um, we could talk about that at any time. Um, and 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 just who you like in the development process. Like, um, I'll, I'll start it off with: Do you think that like I know that Tua's saying he's ready for the combine, but do you think that with this injury, maybe he's a quarterback? Would you like to see him wait a year on a team? Yeah, I'm kind of in that camp, Shane, because you know. Not that I like am told a lot, not that I have tons of sources or anything like that, but the murmuring down in Mobile around the senior bowl week was that the NFL, the league, is very wary of Tua's hip. They're extremely concerned about the injury. Yes, he got sort of the side off when he had that checkup or whatever in New York City, and there's thoughts that if he's not ready completely by the combine, he should be ready to like throw and work out at a pro day. If you take away the injury history from Tua, he's probably the best quarterback in this draft class. Like from what he does on the field, when he's healthy, the quick release, the you know process and speed that he shows, you know the accuracy, the arm talent. Like he's close to a complete package. But when you have the multiple lower body injuries and now this hip injury, that's a big fear. And if you're sort of a team thinking about, you know, we've got to get a new quarterback in, we, we've got to get our quarterback of the future, that's a big if. That's a lot to be to take on. And, you know, if, if he goes through the medical checks at the combine and things pan out and you start hearing differently, then maybe, look, you, you can be comfortable if your team takes him, if, if you're a fan of a team they draft to. A, would I like to see the Patriots take him? You know, we can obviously put these guys in that microscope. I think if Tom Brady's still in place, yeah, because you wouldn't have to plan right away. If Brady's gone and their plan at the quarterback position for 2020 is Jared Stidham and then Tua whenever he's ready, then I'm a bit wary because I would love to see him have sort of like a medical redshirt type year, like you said, where he gets to sort of sit, play like in practice and that's it, and then really come back for 2020. And, and now when you start looking at the draft and you look at landing spots for Tua, I think Miami makes too much sense, you know, because obviously, look, they're going to have Ryan Fitzpatrick in place, number one. And so they've got somebody that could be that bridge. And Fitzpatrick certainly showed that at times he could be an effective NFL quarterback, beat the Patriots in week 17. Like, let's, let's face it, he had a pretty good game in that one. And so you've got a bridge guy in place. And Fitzpatrick has already said he wants to come back for next year. And so I think Miami will be an ideal situation for for them. I think if you start looking at some other teams, there might be some that aren't good situations. Like Cincinnati, if the if the medical checks come back fine and suddenly Cincinnati's blown away, I'm still wary about Tua to Cincinnati behind that offensive line and having to play right away and not getting that extra time. And so that's a situation, that's a landing spot where 
eh, I'm a little bit shaky about that one. You know, you could see later in the first round, the Chargers, that might work. They've got Tyrod. They can probably roll a Tyrod as a British quarterback. Carolina, we don't know what they're going to do with Cam. Matt Rulo said nice things about both Cam Newton and Will Greer. Um, so maybe that would be a good landing spot. But I think Miami does make the most sense for Tua. Yeah. I mean, at this point, Tyrod Taylor might be better than Phillip Rivers just was. Yeah. I mean, you look at some of their numbers, especially what Rivers did last year. You could make the case that, look, the Chargers, they could roll with, you know, Tyrod for a year as their bridge quarterback, and they could draft, you know, whether it's Tua if he gets to six. Justin Herbert at six makes a lot of sense for them, too. You know, I'd anticipate one of those quarterbacks coming off the board to the Chargers at six. Um, so he could certainly be a good bridge bridge quarterback for them, sure. And I was somebody that was more in the Tyrod camp than others were. Uh, I know Tyrod has proven to be somewhat of a polarizing player, but I think in, in terms of an NFL franchise, like on the field, like he can be a bridge guy. He's probably not somebody you're going to like want on your fantasy roster, but if you're an NFL team that drafted a rookie quarterback in this year's draft, Tyrod's a good bridge player for you. Yeah, yeah. he's He had some success back in Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously limited in a sense. Oh, well, like, Buffalo, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, he doesn't read the middle of the field well. Um, He still struggles with that. He obviously wants to run when he can. Like, we've seen that from him. Yeah. But he can run an NFL offense. He can sort of keep you on schedule. And, you know, you're not going to lose a ton of games because of him. But if you're a team that's drafted a, a rookie quarterback – you know, you're in sort of a rebuilding mode anyway. Yeah. So would okay. So let's we'll go to the, what pick do the Patriots have? Twenty three. Is that right? They've Something got twenty three. Like yeah. Um. Do you want? Would you rather see Justin Herbert there or Tua? I mean, again, it sort of depends on the Brady situation. If if Brady's back, all things being equal, I'd rather Tua. I think Tua is the cleaner prospect. What do you um, think happens with that? As a as a with the Brady situation, fan and yeah, I man, this I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like if you had asked me that, you know, right after their season ended, I would have said it was probably 50-50 He's coming back to New right. Orleans. Then that number went up a little bit. I started to feel more comfortable about it. You know, hearing some things again, not that I have sources or anything like that, but talking to some people in and around, you know, the Patriots um, and other beat reporters and stuff, they seemed pretty confident. So the number went up to more like eighty twenty. But the Dante Scarnecchia retirement, I got to say, kind of rocked me a bit because let's face it, if you're, you know, on that coaching staff or in that front office and, you know, you're in the building and the thinking is, look, let's just, let's get the band back together for one last ride, huh? You know, let's get everybody back together. We'll bring Brady back. We'll, you know, we'll sign him on a two-year deal, whatever we have to do to get him in the building. We'll try to, you know, reload around him. You know, let's do it. One more run, shall we? Come on, let's do it. And Skarnecki is like, no. Like, that almost makes me think that they're planning to go in a different direction. Now, maybe, look, Dante Skarnecki is 72. Like, he's earned the right to retire. Again, he's already done it once. Like, he's a tremendous offensive line coach. He should go into the Hall of Fame and his assistant coach. He's just absolutely invaluable to that team. But that one rocked me a bit, you know, and then... You know, they're here, the reports that the Patriots, they want a decision sooner rather than later. They want to figure things out. They're willing to offer them $30 million, But Brady sort of wants, you know, a commitment that they're going to add help around him. You know, maybe that evened me out a bit, got the hopes up. I, I still think he comes back, um, but I'm not betting on it, you know, because the, the, let's face it, Tom Brady doesn't get to be Tom Brady without being an uber competitive freak show. 
I mean, right. that's part of what's defined him. I mean, you talk to Tom Brady, how quickly does the fact that he was picked 199 come up? Probably within the first five minutes. Yeah. And, you know, the great ones have that sort of mentality. I mean, Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech talks about the guys that made teams instead of him. I mean, that, that's just that how the on their shoulder. Yeah. You know, and, and so I'm sure at some level, the thought of winning a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick is enticing to Tom Brady. I'm sure the thought of winning a Super Bowl without Tom Brady is enticing to Bill Belichick. Again, you don't get to be where you are without having that sort of belief in yourself. But if you're Brady, I think you have to sort of look at the potential landing spots, look at what the situation you have right now. You're 42. Do you want to go learn a new offense? Well, or even, I just, it, it would seem so weird to me. Yeah. And that legacy it, and what he's done. Like, can you, you, I don't think you can make it any better by going to another team. Right. I don't think so either. Like, I don't think he gets, if you look at the places where, you know, he could go, what makes sense that would be a better option for him to win a Super Bowl next year than New England, like Chicago, right. like the Raiders. Like, I mean, the Raiders, I mean, Indy, Tampa Bay, Chargers, the Chargers, I don't think they're close. And the, if you go to the Chargers, you're going to play 15 twice a year. I don't think you want to play Mahomes twice a year. How do Go you up feel against him. about the rumor that you trade that 23 to Detroit for Matt Stafford? I mean, I've said before, I was on a show with Waldman like two years ago, and he asked me if I could have any other quarterback not named Tom Brady. This was before Mahomes blew up, so don't oh, hold sure, this one against sure. me. But I said it was Stafford. I, I think Stafford would be fascinated in, in that kind of offense. I often thought that Stafford got to be a better quarterback after Charles Johnson retired, you know, because he, I mean, Calvin Johnson, I don't know why I said Charles, because he sort of learned to trust himself and not just say, look, Calvin's triple teamed. I don't care. I'm throwing it to him. Yeah. Because he could get away with that. But then he had to sort of learn to play the position. Yeah. Then you're that still did, seeing him make like Marvin Jones and Golden Tate were yeah. like 11 and 12 that one year, wide receivers in, in fantasy. Yeah. And then, Doing it with Galladay and Marvin Jones. I mean, if New if New England is comfortable in the back with Matthew Stafford, and you know that checks out, then I'd be fine with that. How and feasible maybe that's an, do you think that is? That actually happening? I can't imagine it's that feasible because if you're Detroit, like you've got a chance to get a great player at three right. and reload with Matthew Stafford. Like I, I get that. Like, yeah, you could. The team take a seems quarterback ready at now. Three. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think Detroit is close enough that they can make one more run. I don't, I, I don't know. So Brady retires. We'll just say he retires, so he doesn't go to another team. D what about Justin Herbert? Do you think he would make it to your twenty-three for the Pats? I've taken this now, all a total I mean, different direction than we ever right. talked about. I um, I don't think. He, it's I don't all about the Patriots these, now. It is. It's, this is just, I'm just going to record this, prop it up as a Sco Show episode, man. Um, I don't think any of these quarterbacks make it to 23. That's the other thing. Like, we see quarterbacks get pushed up boards all the time. Like, we see it happen. And so I really think the way this unfolds is Burrow at one. I think you pencil that. You can probably sharpie that in right now. And I think a quarterback comes off the board either at three or at five. I don't know if it's Miami at five going up to three just to make sure they get Tua or Miami stays pat and they get Tua at five. But then you get the Chargers at six. I think Justin Herbert goes there. And then I think somewhere in that seven to 14 range, you see 
Jordan Love, and potentially even Jacob Eason come off the board. And I know we weren't planning on talking about Jacob Eason. And no, that's you know, fine. He, we weren't planning on talking about Stafford or half the things yeah, we just said. So yeah, you just, are fine, man. Roll it, man. Yeah. I mean, the thing with Eason is he has such a great arm. He's such a struggle of an evaluation. I was literally rewatching two of his games today, and there are times when it's like you could see it clicking. You could see the mental stuff working. He's reading in the middle of the field, and you're like, Justin Herbert's not doing this. Jordan Love's not doing this. And then there are other times he's got guys wide open in the middle of the field. And he looks at them and just starts spinning around in the pocket and running himself into sacks. Then he had a, a play against, I think it was Cal, um, a game they lost by one, where they were down 17-16 um, late fourth quarter. It's like a second and six. He's got a receiver open. He doesn't throw it. He spins away. He starts scrambling. And rather than throw it away, he like slides and gives himself up three yards behind the line of scrimmage. And you're like on the cusp of field goal range at that moment. Yeah. And it's like, what what are you doing? Like it, it reminded me of when was it Trubisky this year who like ran out of bounds rather than throwing it away? It was just like, yeah. what are you doing? Like when what I'm thinking. That reminds me of Mitchell Trubisky. That's not a good thing. Like if you're a quarterback prospect and you're getting comped to Trubisky, like that's not a place you want to be. But at the same time, he has the arm talent. He has the athleticism. He, he does some things that are good enough that I know some coach is going to talk himself into Jacob Eason. And that coach might be Bruce Arians. And oh. I've been trying for years. I did it with Cardale Jones. I did it with Mahomes. Eventually, I'm going to get the Bruce Arians quarterback pick right. <laughs> and it might be this year with Jacob Eason. I don't know. But I, I think Eason might go in that range. I think Love probably goes in that range. I was talking to some people like in and around the league. A lot of people seem to like Love and his upside more than Herbert and where he is right now. Hmm. And so there's a scenario, Shane, where we could be talking about five quarterbacks in the top 14. And I mean, there's some teams that could need some quarterbacks, be it for now or the future. Or yeah, if I mean, you look at 11, 12, 13, that's the three team stretch. I keep coming back to that's the Raiders at 12, the Colts at 13, the Bucks at 14. Like those are three teams that could either use a quarterback right away, like Indy, for example, or Tampa Bay, depending on what they do with Jameis or in a year or two, you know, the Raiders and how they decide to handle Carr. And when we're hearing that the Raiders would be in on Tom Brady, that tells me Gruden's pretty much had it with Carr. And so there's three teams right there that could use a quarterback. So, yeah, yeah I, I it, you know, maybe Eason doesn't get drafted in the first round. Maybe Love doesn't get drafted in the first round. If it's a scenario where it's Love or Eason available at 23, maybe that's a way to do this. I'd probably bet on Love's upside rather than Eason and where he is right now. But that's kind of a tougher call. I'm, I'm not finished to with both of those guys. But if it's a situation where Tom Brady's still in place, I'd probably bet on love's upside. If it's a situation where Tom Brady's not in place and you need somebody sooner rather than later, it'd probably be Eason for me. And so you mentioned Miami and Fitzpatrick. What about Josh Rosen? I, I mean, talk about getting things wrong. I mean, look, he was my QB one and you know, I've I've had some misses. We've all had some misses, man. That that's part but, of. The but we're also talking about a league where uh, all of a sudden Case Keenum's a starter. Yeah, I I still think there is a path to NFL starter status for Josh Rosen. I mean, he's what twenty two. He's uh, I don't young. Know. Yeah, 
And look, he's had a really bad strand of situations here because they changed the offense a couple of times at UCLA. He slides down boards for whatever reason, gets drafted by Arizona. They fire the offensive coordinator like early in his season. So now he's on basically his fourth offense, you know, as a rookie. And then, you know, they change the regime again. He gets traded to Miami. Like he, he's been dealt a hard handle. There, Man, there yeah. were times in those couple starts he had at the beginning of the season where he looked pretty decent, though, and he wasn't handed a, a lot. I'm still a believer. I mean, if you look back at some of the stuff he was doing in Arizona, it was still impressive. And, and so, like, I think there's a situation now where a team is going to look at their quarterback room and realize that, okay, well, maybe we're set, or at least we think we're set right now with a starter or maybe we need somebody that can push our starter or maybe we just need an upgrade upgrade at the backup spot. Josh Rose is going to cost at this point, what a fourth rounder. Yeah, probably not much. Not much. I mean, especially if they're going to be drafting Tua, like he went for what a second last year and now it didn't work out in Miami. So I'd say probably a fourth, maybe a third, if that maybe a comp third, something like that. If you're say the Chicago bears and you shouldn't be confident in Mitchell Trubisky right now. And your backup situation is a bit shaky with Chase Daniel to begin with. Mm-hmm. That's probably not a bad flyer to take if you're the New England Patriots and you can convince Tom Brady to come back. But, you know, maybe you're not sure no, about Jared. That's what I, I was going to go back to that, though. Yes. Yeah. Like, would that why be not? crazy, though? I don't uh, think it'd be crazy. I love that scenario. Like, especially with, look, right now, the Patriots have seven picks but when the comp picks get calculated they're gonna i think they're gonna get up to 11 picks and they're gonna have a bunch of third rounders because that's what they're expecting to get for trey flowers and for trent brown um and if you get somebody else's that they let go but they're expecting to get a bunch of comp picks one of those comp picks at the end of the third round for josh rosen yeah why not absolutely i I think that makes i think that makes a ton of sense because you know he's not going to play if i mean Unless Miami drafts Tua, they plan to redshirt him and they still want Rosen as a backup, maybe, but maybe not. You know, and is, you know, missing out on a third round pick worth it to Miami for that? I don't know. But I I think teams should be asking about Josh Rosen because, again, he had, and this is one of the interesting things about doing this from the outside. We all thought, myself included, that he had the mind and the mental process and the decision making and all the mental stuff that goes into the position figured out. But then we find out that he couldn't, he had never identified a Mike linebacker before. And so, you know, maybe we didn't know the full picture, but at the same time, the kid can throw, the kid can read defenses. He's athletic enough. Like he's not, you know, a Kyler Murray or anything like that. But with his tennis player background, he has the footwork to stay alive in the pocket and to create space and, you know, get away from pressure and handle pockets pretty well. You know, that might be all you would need in a backup quarterback. And so, yeah, look, I think Chicago does make some sense, but. Talking about the Patriots, yeah, I mean, sure. If you get Brady to come back, but you're unsure about Stidham, Josh Rosen as an extra option doesn't seem like a bad idea to me. And I kind of like him behind that that older quarterback who you know will be gone soon, but that he will respect. Like, right. um, no, no disrespect to Fitzpatrick and what he's done in the league, but that's not quite the same thing as walking into a room with Tom Brady and knowing that you're not competing for a job right and this is to help your process yeah i mean if you're josh rosen and you walk into that situation you know that okay i'm not fighting for a job right now 
Okay, I'm not fighting for a job on a roster where there's no talent around me. I'm here to learn and to figure things out and to fix everything I need to fix. And who better to learn it from than Tom Brady? And and Brady has, you know, there have been reports that Brady understands that, you know, he's going to have to help somebody along here because, you know, his window is drawn to a close. Father time is going to win that battle eventually. And so, you know, and people have said that, look, as competitive as he is, like Brady is certainly, you know, he's not a Joe Flacco in the sense that like Flacco basically like closed doors and we don't talk to Lamar Jackson. Right. Like, and so I think that would be a great opportunity for Josh Rosen. Yeah. So let's, let's go right into that then. Um, Joe Flacco or Drew Locke week one this year? I think it has to be Drew Locke. Yeah. You know, I I think if you look at some of the stuff he did, the rap skills are, look, that was incredible. Like, Absolutely. That was, and my favorite part of that was when they showed him the video of it, he had like no recollection of it. She's like, I look like an idiot. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying. Right. Like he was just in the moment. He's like, like what how song cool is, is that? that? Yeah. He's like, he didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. That was so amazing. And yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at, let's, let's game this out for a second because let's take that scenario. I was just laying out there potentially four or five quarterbacks in the top 14 who's picking a 15 Denver. Mm. What does that mean? If you get four or five QBs in that top 15, you're seeing a guy like CD lamb or rugs or Judy, or one of these wide receivers, one of these weapons fall to them at 15. Oh, with Sutton and then you looking at fat Sutton. We'll say Judy, CD lamb, whomever with a young rookie quarterback. That's figured it yeah. out. That's not a bad situation to be in. Not at so, all. Yeah, I mean, I th- look, and in that opportunity, why are you going to waste Joe Flacco? No, you want to get Drew Locke played with these new guys, playing with this young talent, because you, maybe you don't make the run like we've seen some second-year quarterbacks have, like uh, like what Goff did or some other young quarterbacks. But you get these guys playing together. You know, you think maybe well, if they're it's not 2020, 2021, yeah. like you're going to make a run with that talent. Especially if you think, look, the Chargers are going to be out of the picture for a while. Who knows about the Raiders? Yeah, the Chiefs are going to be good, but it's not like the AFC is completely loaded. You could get into the playoffs at nine and seven next year in the AFC, I think. Denver could do that with those kind of weapons. I mean, they were seven and nine this year. Yeah. Two more wins. That's not a huge ask. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, I mean, trading some of their veterans away. Like, they got rid of Sanders, and, um, man, and maybe they can get something for Flacco still. I mean, yeah. Flacco's getting paid, though. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough contract to move. But, you know, there might be a team that might be saying, look, you know, we we, maybe one of those teams we were just talking about, that Vegas, Indy, Tampa Bay realm, maybe they decide to go a veteran route. Who knows? But Gruden seems kind of crazy. I mean, that would be the most grooted move. We know he loves veterans. Yep. Know, we saw it with Rich Gannon. We've seen it some other times before. Gruden decides, you know what? I, I get that Jordan Love might be on the board. I get that, you know, Jacob Eason might be on the board. I'm going to give me Joe Flacco. I mean, was like, Derek that's such Carr, a grooted was move. Derek Carr really the problem, though? I don't think so. I it's mean, just, he had Hunter Renfro. Uh, to throw we to liked. Tyrell Williams, we absolutely. Don't get me wrong. I, I, we liked him, but he's not like he's a he's a nice slot wide yeah, receiver I for mean, that. Team. Yeah, exactly. He's a nice slot receiver for that team. He they, he doesn't have like Antonio Brown, who they thought they were going to have at the beginning right. of the season, or anybody close to that caliber of a receiver. And then he has Darren Waller emerge, and Mostert gets some games, and Josh Jacobs. 
What, what did you expect Derek Carr to do? Right. No, I mean, I think there's certainly a case for you've got picks at 12 and 19. Get two more studs for that offense, or you know, maybe you get one offensive guy, one defensive guy, because Clinton Farrell didn't seem to really pan out. But you can certainly put some more pieces around Derek Carr and, and make a nice little run. You know, again, you were in playoff contention. You've got seven picks as it stands right now. Looking at some mocks, and you're seeing, you know, CD Lamb at 12 to them. They come away from this draft with CD Lamb to put around Derek Carr with some of the other pieces they've got in place. With Josh Jacobs, you know, healthy for an entire season, that could work. I would love to see. I, I would love to see somebody like Ceedee Lamb in Buffalo. I, I would like yeah. to see some weapons for Josh Allen. Yeah, Allen is. It's so weird, Shane, because Allen's season was not what I expected at all. Because when you watch him, it's like suddenly there's emerged in front of our eyes this timing and rhythm-based passer who's most effective in the short and intermediate areas of the field but struggles pushing the ball downfield, can't connect with his receivers in the vertical passing game, and has kind of limited his offense in a sense. I never would have imagined saying that about Josh Allen when he was coming out. I would have said the exact opposite. Yeah, he's going to be throwing it all, you know, all the way downfield, but he's going to be a mess underneath. It's like they overemphasized the stuff he needed to work on, and he forgot how to be a deep vertical passer. You know, he's got to figure that part out. I do think they need another weapon. I think Cole Beasley is, again, a nice slot receiver. I think Brown was a very good deep threat for them, but sometimes he and Allen couldn't be on the same page. You know, I, I think they need that other guy. I, I don't, yeah, I, I, I'll do respect to John Brown. I, I just... He he doesn't do it for me like he does everybody else. He and I and I get what he did for the team being their wide receiver one, but I don't think he's a wide receiver one. Yeah, I mean he's probably better as a wide receiver two. You know. Yeah, and Where a, even a tight get, end. Well, I mean they got Knox, but Knox showed some moments. Like he he showed some flashes, and you know he was pretty impressive as far as rookie tight ends go. We've seen rookie tight ends sort of struggle to figure it out. Um, so I, I think. And they do a lot of stuff with 21, so they use the fullback a lot. Yeah, I mean, get another – because even if we say that Brown's fine at wide receiver one, look at the rest of the wide receiver room. Yeah. Like Isaiah McKenzie, Duke Williams, like you need to upgrade there. So, yeah, I think getting Allen a weapon yeah. would be nice. And that was in what they had in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, you're watching in the playoffs, and I'm just thinking like – that he needs a wide receiver that can at least toe tap and have that mentality when you're in the air or to get up in the air, not you're right. dragging your feet all the way out of bounds. Like you had yeah. three feet to make a decision there and your brain couldn't do it. You have the athletic skills, but you don't have those like DeAndre Hopkins toe taps. Right. Where you, yeah. I don't know, you're so focused on the game and where your awareness of the field. Yeah, they, they, they do need somebody. I mean, I'm looking at some mocks right now. LaVisca Chenault at 22. I, I like him a lot. I don't know if he's the best fit for what they need, though. Yeah. Like, he's more of a offensive weapon, like a guy that you do different things with. I'm not sure he's like a full wide receiver. Like, I, I think they probably need to go in a different route. Now, if Chenault gets to 23, believe me, I'll be ecstatic if the Patriots find a way to draft him. But – I'm just, again, preparing myself for Belichick to trade out and undraft Vanderbilt's third string strong safety or something. <laughs> uh, only time will tell. That's coming up. I mean, what? We have yeah. 
uh, 35 days-ish? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Getting closer each day. Get combine coming so, up in a couple weeks. I wanted to ask you the same thing really quick that I did with Drew Locke, but Gardner Minshew or Nick Foles? I'm all aboard the Minshew train. Yeah. And I, I, I think partly because it's a similar sense that I had sort of when watching Baker his rookie year where that team just seemed different. The energy seemed different. Yeah. And look, there, there was a swagger that there's a swagger to Gardner Minshew that there isn't there with Nick Foles. And I understand why Jacksonville did what they did going out and getting Nick Foles because the locker room was fractured. You know, in the wake of the Blake Bortles stuff, there were reports and stories about, you know, the defense just ready to just throttle Blake Bortles. And with good reason, that defense was good. And the offense was holding back, particularly the quarterback position. And so you needed sort of a, a common influence at the quarterback position. That's why they got Nick Foles. I thought it was a, a window into how they felt about their locker room. But yeah. you can't deny that Minshew gave that locker room juice, gave that offense juice. And he played well. Yeah, they won and games. They won games with him. Did he have some bad games? Yeah. The game in London, I think, was where he threw like three picks against Houston. Yeah, that was bad. But you're not going to be flawless as a rookie. It's hard to see that. So yeah, I think I, he won more games than Bortles did the year before, correct? Yeah. yeah. I, I think you roll with Gardner Minshew. And, you know, would there be a buyer for Nick Foles? Maybe. I don't know. I That might be a tough contract to unload, too. But at the same time, I, I think you've seen enough from both of them where you've got a nice little opportunity here. Maybe you overspent for one quarterback, but you got a right. guy in the you're, fifth you're round. Him either way, you might as well yeah. put the better guy in and the guy yeah. that is the team's ready to go for. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I'd roll with Gardner Minshew, sure. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I'm I'm uh, huge on the Gardner train. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, you're, you're sitting there at nine like – you know, you get an Andrew Thomas or somebody to help the offensive line. Before you know it, that team could be good again. Yeah. The London Jaguars, as I guess we're going to have to call them. <laughs> it, it could be. Two games in London yeah. this year. It looks like they might They're be moving. moving that way. Yeah. yeah. So we've hit on a ton of stuff. Um, we've scattered in Patriots throughout the entire show. Um, you know I wanted to get your take a little bit on Nikhil Harry. You already mentioned you want a wide receiver there. That makes me curious how you're feeling on him and his future going forward. But before that, I wanted to talk about Sony. And I, I guess I'll say, do you think that – I'll even just say Twitter – Twitterverse. Do you think that Twitterverse is too hard too hard on Sony? Like for what he's actually done and the carries he's gotten. He's actually had a pretty decent workload. I want to say 244 carries last year, something in that range. Um, but he's a running back too in fantasy. So I mean, Sony's got a couple of things working against him to begin with before we even talk about last year. He's a Patriots running back. Sure. And Look, the, the Patriots are so matchup-based, so week-to-week determinant that you know, it's hard to truly – while they're still in the Tom Brady era, it will be hard to truly trust anybody in that running back room because Sonny Michelle might give them the best matchups, might give them the best chance to win in week one, and he might be out of the game plan in week two just because of the way they structure their offense. So that's something to keep in mind. Belichick but uses those skill sets. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all matchup determinant. And, you know, if it's Rex Burkhead week one, Michelle week two, 
White week three, Damian Harris week four. Like, who knows what it's going to look like this year? So but the, the other thing that happened started this with year, me saying I would take Sony over Carry On Johnson easy. Yeah, I think I would too, just because I think Sony is going to a be a factor of what they still want to be, which is sort of more of a ball control offense. I don't want to say like a run first offense, but a ball control offense. And number two, next year he's going to have James Devlin back, and if Devlin stays healthy. I think you're going to see a much better Sony Michelle overall because that was an underrated part of what happened, what went wrong in New England this year was when James Devlin went down. You could tell how important that fullback position was to this offense because they tried tight ends. They tried the international player, Jakob Johnson. He looked to be good, then he got hurt. They moved a fullback, Landon Roberts. He got some, a significant amount of time at fullback, caught a touchdown against Miami. And it's because they, do so much out of that 21 personnel offset eye. But when Devlin went down, Michelle lost the guy he trusted. You know, when Michelle came in as a rookie and they were doing so much single back stuff, he sort of struggled reading and identifying and exploiting holes. When he had James Devlin behind him, in front of him to run behind, that's when you saw a confidence on Michelle. That went away and Michelle struggled a little bit and tried to sort of piece it together. And so with Devlin back, I think Michelle is going to have a better year next year. Yeah, I'm. I'm all about that. I'm on the buy Sony Michelle. Yeah, kind of low right now in fantasy. Yeah, you're going to you buy him low. So yeah, might as well take advantage of the opportunity. So Nikhil Harry. Yeah, that's a tougher one. Um, not that I'm like a wide receiver guru. Like there are much smarter people. Waldwood, Brad Kelly. There, there's so many other smart people when it comes to the wide receiver position, but. I've come around to the idea that if you can't get consistent separation at the college level, like you're certainly going to struggle it, struggle with it in the NFL. And I think that's one issue. Like Nikhil Harry sometimes didn't get as much separation as you'd like to see. That's part one. Part two, the complexity of the Patriots offense. We've seen some guys come in, rookies, free agents, sort of struggle with it, struggle to get on the same page with Tom Brady. Look at Philip Dorsett. Like there are still times when he and Brady are, still aren't on the same page. And this is now year three. Yeah. So it's it's a struggle. And then there's other times when he looks like he's going to be the man. Yeah. It, it, and he looked great at the beginning of the year when you had Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown and Julian Edelman. And he's got cornerback four defending him. Mm-hmm. It's a lot different when Edelman getting banged up and you've got CB one or two across from you. Like that's what Philip Dorsett struggles. And so Dorsett can be a nice piece if he's not getting locked down by CB one or two. But when it comes to Harry, it's like the Patriots finally figured out how to manufacture touches for him late in the season. You know, some jet sweep stuff, some end around, some bubbles, some swings. And so that gives me some hope that there are, they still have a plan for him going forward. It's not like they froze him out. They froze him out after that interception um, down in Houston where he didn't fight for the ball on a slant route, pick six. Brady basically iced him. They froze him out for a while. They brought him back out of the freezer. They started to manufacture some touches for him. So I'm hopeful that there's an opportunity there, but they need weapons no matter what. And so while I'm saying that they should probably, you know, if Brady's back, draft a wide receiver at 23 or a tight end at 23, that doesn't mean that I'm low on Harry. They just need upgrades, like at the wide receiver room. Yeah. They need them bad because the Edelman's little, not getting any younger either. Yeah, that's just it. We're you know, when Welker went downhill, he was a couple of years younger than where Edelman is right now. Like, say what you want about that slot receiver position, particularly in New England. It takes a toll on your body. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's not like you're running go routes and you might pull a hamstring here or there. You're getting lit up from time to time. And Edelman, you know, the chest injury, the shoulder injury, 
you get banged up and you get knocked around that it takes a toll. It's almost Dude, those play guys back. just don't look afraid. Like some of the balls yeah. that they go for when they're in the air. I mean, they, they go for that well knowing that they're about to get clobbered. Yeah. And it's not like you're and getting especially hit by Welker corners. back in the day. I mean, watching that, like just yeah. like fearless. You're getting hit by linebackers and strong safeties. Like that it's a yeah. different, different beast. And so they need to potentially look at a slot guy, somebody behind Edelman, because we're getting to that point now. We're past where Welker sort of fell off the cliff. And so there's a thought that Edelman could have a similar fate. And yeah, they need upgrades all around that wide receiver room. And if they could get like a Devin DuVernay from Texas as a slot guy sometime on day three and add in another wide receiver, whether it's a LaVisca Chenault or one of these other guys sometime on day one or two, then yeah, you feel a little bit better about that wide receiver room. And you probably see a trickle-down effect on Sony Michelle because now maybe you have an offense that can put up some points in the first half and salt games away with Michelle in the second half. So in, in your... Your head of heart, your heart of heads. Is there a heart of heads? You're going to have I one. I think there is. I've got one now. Who will have a better NFL career, Marquise Brown or Nikhil Harry? That's. Because mm. I'm starting to have some concerns about Harry. And that, that's another. Yeah. Or, or uh, Marquise Brown as well. And I want to yeah, like him so much. I okay, want to like him so I'll much. I'll let too. you talk. I, sorry. I'm going to say, I'm still going to say Brown is going to have the better career because. Look, that Baltimore offense, we know what it was this year, but I think it's going to take a step forward again next year. You know, I remember being on with you guys and we talked, you know, before the season started and we, we talked about uh, like, you know, you got to do what Lamar can do well and don't ask him to throw 10 yard out routes and things like that. They figured some of that out. They were doing some pretty creative stuff. They were doing some seam stuff, some vertical stuff. You know, they were letting Lamar do what he did best. And a lot of it was around the tight end, but now, you know, I think you're going to take a step forward as an offense. And he gets a chance to sort of grow with Lamar. And get healthy. And get healthy. We don't know if Nikhil Harry is going to have Tom Brady, and if so, for how much longer. No, that's an excellent point. And, and so I still think Brown's probably in the better spot to have the better career. So if I'm placing a bet right now, I'm betting on Brown. What worried me a little bit was the success that, that Ravens offense had and how high-octane it was. And how little we saw Hollywood Brown. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I but I think he was a little beat up. All he was a little season. beat up. And look, I, I he's think a rookie. if he's, he's a rookie, so that wear and tear. And look, when you're playing on a team that went deep into the postseason in college, like Oklahoma did, you know, that, you know, playoff semifinal into, you know, the draft grind and all that, it takes its toll. So oh, now he gets a chance to sort of relax. I'm charge. just going to ask it. Is Lamar Jackson's accuracy a concern for a deep threat like Hollywood Brown? Will we have to rely too much on his speed? I mean, we're seeing a lot of success in the short game to the tight ends, like you said, and Mark yeah. Andrews. Is, is yeah. that... Um, I mean, I don't... Th- everybody's going to crucify me for talking bad about Lamar Jackson. Right. I wouldn't go as far to say like as it's a concern. But I think it's something to keep in mind when placing a value on him. Like, you know, you know, if you're drafting or in a redraft or whatever, like it's something to keep in mind with Brown, but I wouldn't call it really a concern. Like, I think it's a situation where that offense has been creative enough. And let's not forget, look, one of the biggest moves for Baltimore this offseason is Greg Roman didn't get a job. You know, he's going to be back there. And so you've got that offense another year to grow and to refine and to do some creative stuff where 
he's going to have some opportunities where it doesn't matter where Lamar Jackson puts the ball. It's, as long as it's close, right. Brown's going to be open enough to get to it. Yep. And, I was so kind of thinking that like on my drive home today. Yeah. I, like, I don't but he's so fast. He'll get him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Like he's so fast. And, you know, Lamar, like, is he a precise precision passer? No. But especially when you start thinking about stuff down the field, like that doesn't matter as much. Like if a guy, you know, if I'm grading a quarterback, you know, a college prospect, Burrow or whatever, you know, they throw a deep ball and it's to the wrong shoulder or whatever. You're just worried about general accuracy. Like it doesn't need to be precise. Like just look, give your guy a chance. Like keep it in bounds. Right. And believe me, there are some quarterbacks that can't even do that. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Yep. Well, Mark, this has been a ton of fun. We covered all in more than we even mentioned. Um, I had a great time, man. Me too, man. This is awesome. We got to do it again. I, I love coming on. Man. Absolutely. Tell them everywhere to find you. And man, I want to get you on like after, after some landing spots too, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Let's plan for that. Like post draft. So we can go through some of these rookies and figure it out. But best way to find me at Mark Schofield on Twitter. But like I said, right for inside the pylon pro football weekly, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio. Uh, those three SB nation websites, big blue view, bleeding green nation and Pat's pulpit. And yes, if you feel like listening, the QB Sco show on bleeding green radio and the Sco show over at Pat's pulpit. And I'm at DFF underscore swag. Find us at Superflex Pod. Hit up at FL2 Drink Minimum. Tell them to come out here and party. Mark, what's your least favorite thing that you see happening on Twitter? Right now? Eh, Everything. Yeah. Everything. Twitter is just bad right now. Can rub you wrong. I mean least favorite thing i see on twitter it's everybody declared victory after the super bowl how about that <laughs> because film twitter has said oh no no the 49ers they still were in position to win analytics twitter is saying something else it's like can't we just enjoy a game yeah we can't the kansas city chiefs are the super bowl champions they are hats off to them they had a heck of a parade today yeah i mean like Cars getting ran off the road and everything. I know. Mahomes like dumping beer off the top of the bus down into Kelsey's mouth. Like fantastic. Absolutely. And the fanny pack. Yeah. Rocking out. Gotta love a good parade, man.